0: Our scripture today comes from Matthew 9:10 through 13, Hebrews 12:1 through 3, and 1 Corinthians 13:7 through 8. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" But when he heard it, he said, "Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick" Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which sink, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is his word.
1: Uh, Amen. Thank you, Kim. Good morning. Uh, My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here. At Church of the Redeemer. It's good to see so many of you uh, as we close out the summer together this morning. We're at the end of a series that we've been doing for a number of weeks now. In uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians chapter 13, which is very famous, we call it the love chapter because Paul has a lot of things to say about uh, what love is. And this morning we come to the end of this list in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says love never ends. Now one of the interesting features of our culture uh, that I've been thinking about is, as I've been preparing to to preach this message, is that we tend to celebrate the strength of love, not the length of it. Uh, What I mean by that is that we love stories about strong love, passionate love, right? Crazy love, as Hunter Hayes sings about. Can't sleep, can't breathe without your love kind of love, right? If it ain't right, excuse me, he says, it ain't right if you ain't lost your mind. That sort of thing. Most of the love stories we celebrate in our culture are about this overwhelming feeling of love that eventually flames out and then needs to be recovered. That's really, that's really the narrative arc of most of the love stories, the movies and the books and such that we uh, go see and read and, and involve ourselves in. We celebrate the romanticism of love. I mean, I think most people, women particularly, probably in our culture believe that their lives should be their very own Nicholas Sparks book. We do not celebrate the slog of love. If I, I did this two weeks ago before I went on vacation, if I would have been able to do it a couple of days ago, I would have entitled the sermon, Love Slogs. Because you see, the last part of the Apostle Paul's list of love, love's attributes in 1 Corinthians 13 are a challenge to this way we approach this in our culture. Paul says, no matter how strong love may be, If it does not continue all the way to the end, it is not love. So what matters is not how strong the feeling of love is, but whether or not love endures. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. It's not a noun, it's a verb. Love endures. It lasts. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So three things uh, from these few passages we selected to go at this this, um, theme of love's endurance or love's perseverance. I want you to see... Uh, there's a word the Bible gives us uh, for enduring love. Secondly, I want you to see the different parts of enduring love from Paul's list here in 1 Corinthians 13. And then lastly, where we've been ending every sermon in this series, the power for it. So three things about enduring love. First, the word for it, the parts of it, and then the power for it. So let's just start with the word, can we? And you see it there in your outline. It's this word, uh, hesed. Now there are certain words in the Bible that are so important, uh, so central to what the Bible is teaching us that we should pay careful attention to them. And one of these days, Lord willing, I'd love to preach a series on the words of the Bible, words like glory and shalom and justice and the image of God and all these things, maybe one day. But there's a word that is found mostly in the Old Testament that is a perfect summarization of this attribute of love. It's a Hebrew word. So, of course, uh, the word does not, is not itself found in the New Testament, but the concept is. And so you see this passage in Matthew that Kim read to us. Jesus quotes the prophet Hosea there, saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He goes on in Matthew 12 to quote the same exact verse. And so scholars and commentators have made note of the fact that this phrase that Jesus is quoting here from the prophet is almost like a mission statement for his life and ministry. Jesus is about mercy. In this case, mercy towards tax collectors and sinners, who, who, who he's eating with here in Matthew chapter 9. The Pharisees are so upset about. Mercy. And that's the word. Uh, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew word chesed. And you really, you, you have to spit when you say it, so be careful if you're close down here. Because it's, it's chesed, something like that, right? C-H-E-S-E-D is the way in the Hebrew it's, it's pronunciated. Hosea 6, six says, I desire chesed, not sacrifice. And the word's so rich, there's no Greek equivalent and certainly no English equivalent. Now, if you have an English standard Bible, uh, chesed is translated almost universally throughout. The the, ESV is really good about kind of consistently translating this word the same exact way. And it's usually steadfast love, Or everlasting love. And that's because the word combines. Again it's this amazing word. It combines the idea of love and loyalty. So hesed is stubborn love. It's love that endures. It's love that breaks through every obstacle. And goes all the way to the end. It's love that refuses to stop loving. Or you could say it's love with no exit strategy. It combines love with loyalty. It also combines Commitment with sacrifice. It's one way love. When you love somebody like this, you bind yourself to that person no matter what. If they're cranky, you still love them. If they ignore you or hurt your feelings, you still love them because your love isn't based upon any response in them. Your love for them is not sourced in their love for you. So, see, Chesed, for example, Chesed doesn't worry about things being fair typical marriage conversation you went out with the girls last friday night so i can go play golf with the boys on saturday morning and then we'll be all even right chesed doesn't do that it doesn't worry about what's fair it doesn't keep score it doesn't demand recognition from the other person it just loves so it's stubborn love it's one way love and immediately you can begin to see how this word is describing something that's so far beyond our normal experience remember What I said at the beginning, um, in, in many times we fashion love in our culture as if we're only responsible to love when we feel love towards the other person. But this is the opposite of acting on your feelings. Love is not a feeling. And when you lose that feeling, then you're, you know... We, we we characterize love. Love's a feeling. When you lose the feeling of love, then you're out of love. And then because you're out of love, then you end the relationship. But hesed is what you do when you don't feel particularly loving towards the other person. It's acting on your commitments, not your feelings. You don't fall in and out of Hesed because it's not based on feelings. It's a settled commitment to the other person. You put your love on them and then refuse to remove it. No matter how hard it gets no matter how much it costs you, no matter how mean to you they may be, no matter how badly they may hurt your feelings, you put your love on them and then you refuse to take it away. That's hesed. Now I know the objection that would come obviously would be, well, what about tough love? Does this mean we just let people run all over us? I mean, what if I continue to love somebody and they take advantage of me? Or does this mean that the wife who's being abused by her husband should stay in the relationship because after all, love endures all things? And I want to answer the objection by saying no, 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 no. No, we need wisdom. And if somebody is abusive, if, if somebody's sinning against you, it is not loving for you to allow them to continue to sin against you. But the full answer is far more complex. Paul Miller, who will be here with us in two weeks, and you really ought to, really ought to make plans to come because it's going to be an amazing uh, Friday night and Saturday with him. He, he uh, is just finishing writing a book on the book of Ruth, and I serve on his board of directors. I was actually at a board meeting this past week uh, with him, and I, I got my hands on a copy of, of an advanced copy of the book, and it's absolutely fantastic. And he's talking about this very thing at one point in the book, uh, and he's talking about Ruth's love for Naomi, and he says it's so selfless, right? It's so, just so, such an illustration of tested love. It's so really, uh, Ruth is so selfless in her loving of Naomi that if I were to love like that, I'd open my, myself up to being taken advantage of. So what do you do with that? His answer, I think, is marvelous. He, he said, just kind of in a passing comment, but it really landed on me, he said, you know, in most close relationships, there's always an element of abuse. There's always some sense in which we're being taken advantage of or we're taking advantage of others. We're sinners, and so we can't help but do this to one another. And so if we're loving one another without with hesed love, it should feel a little scary. We should feel trapped. Because that's what hesed love is. Now, we need wisdom, okay? Uh, but, but think about that. Now, an illustration before I move on to the second point of this kind of love that we're describing here. I said... Uh, that the quote in Matthew 9 is from the prophet Hosea. And Hosea's story, if you're not familiar with it, is a parable of this kind of Hesed love. Uh, the Lord came to Hosea, the prophet, told him to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Now that should have been his first clue. Okay. Lord, did you say prostitute? Yes. And, and did you say Gomer? Yes. Okay. Here we go. And they had a few children together. And things were fine for a while, but eventually, as you might expect, Gomer was unfaithful to him. She committed adultery. And this is where the story gets really good. The Lord comes to Hosea a second time. She's left him. She's off with this other man. The Lord comes to Hosea a second time, and here's what's fascinating. The Lord didn't apologize. He didn't say, you know, I'm sorry, Hosea, I know. I'm the one that got you into this mess. I should have seen this coming. He didn't say, I can't believe she did that to you, Hosea. After all you did for her, she she treats you like that. Forget about her and move on. Here's what God said. He comes to Hosea. He says, I want you to go and get her and bring her home and love her even though she loves somebody else. She doesn't love you, Hosea. She loves somebody else. But it doesn't matter. I want you to love her even though she doesn't love you. That's Hesed. And can you imagine that? I mean, why would God tell the prophet to do that? The whole book is set up. There's a spiritual lesson he wants us to learn, and here's how it is recorded by the prophet himself. Listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says, this is his recording of God's, of god's commissioning of him to go and love his wife. He says, uh, here, the Lord says, Go again, Hosea, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. God tells Hosea, to go and love his adulterous wife, even though she loves someone else and won't ever reciprocate his love. Because that's the way he has loved us. God loves his people with hesed love. Listen again to Isaiah 54. Though the mountains depart and the hills be removed, my steadfast love. There's that word. My steadfast love will never depart from you and my covenant of peace will never be removed. Do you understand what that language means? God is saying the world will come to an end before I will take my love away from you. You can't ignore me. I'll still love you. You can cheat on me and commit a spiritual adultery with your idols, and I will not remove my love from you. You can forsake me, and I will never forsake you. You can be lukewarm toward me, And that won't affect my passion for you. No sin, no mistake, no moral failure, no public shame. Nothing will ever cause me to remove my love from you. I love you with a steadfast love. I love you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And if you're here and you're a Christian, can I ask you, do you believe that God loves you like that? Lamentations 3 says his love for you is new every morning. In other words, every morning he erases the mistakes and the failures and the betrayals of the day before. Every morning he loves you with new love, with more love than he did the morning before. And I know that's questionable theologically, okay? But can you just roll with me for a minute? And just, that's what Jeremiah is trying to convey. He loves you with new love every morning. Do you believe it? So here's the test. If you believe God loves you like that, then it will turn you into a person who loves others with the same never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. But if you give up on people, if you love only to a certain point, if you love as long as you get love in return, as long as it doesn't cost too much, then it's because you don't believe it. Paul Miller, in that book that I referenced earlier, goes on to say, Hesed love is a determination to do someone good no matter what. To be faithful to a covenant regardless of its impact on you. That is the essence of Calvary love. It loves when there's no hope, no exit. It's a setting of the will to love when every fiber in your body is screaming, run. So that's the word, Hesed, Love with no exit strategy, one-way love, love that endures all the way to the end. The second thing we learned then from this passage is the different parts of this enduring love, okay? And they're right here at the end of Paul's litany in 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I'm going to condense those statements into three smaller statements because there's some obvious overlap. And so the summary that I'm going to give, the three parts of love that I want you to focus on are just this. Love suffers, love spins, and ultimately love stays. Okay, first, love suffers. The Apostle Paul says, love bears all things. See that in verse 7? And from what I've already said, this should be obvious and plain. I'm not really going to spend too much time on this. Because what what he's saying is, is, love is willing to put up with whatever it finds in the object of its love. Love doesn't meet with an obstacle and then just back off and say, you know what, I can't. Love pushes through every obstacle, every hurt, every disappointment, every heartache, every broken heart, every, you know fight you might have, whatever it might be, love is willing to bear those things and to push through them for the sake of doing good to the other person. It suffers. And if we're going to suffer, if we're going to love one another with chesed love, uh, then we are going to have to embrace the suffering aspect of love too. But secondly, I told you I didn't want to spend too much time on that. Secondly, not only does enduring love suffer, there's a willingness to suffer. It bears all things. But what Paul says is enduring love Spins. He goes on to say, love believes all things, hopes all things. Now, when I, meet, when I say spin, I don't mean it like, you know, spin around. Here's what I mean. It may not be the best choice of words, but it started with an S, so I went with it. And actually, I'm trying to be a little provocative here because you know what spin is, right? Spin is a public relations technique. When a celebrity gets in trouble and a story hits that makes them look bad, their PR people spin it. That is, they try to uh, make the bad not look so bad. And when Paul says, love believes all things, hopes all things, that's what he means. And it's an important part of enduring love. Paul means that love is always on the lookout for the good in others. It's always ready to believe the best about other people. Love's always spinning the sins and the failures and the mistakes of others. Another way of saying this is, love refuses to give in to cynicism. It's the opposite of cynicism, enduring love. is. cynicism destroys enduring love, cynicism says he's always been that way. He'll never change. Love says he may be that like that now, but I believe in the person he's becoming. Cynicism is suspicious. It casts doubt. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Cynicism gives up on people. Love believes change is possible. Cynicism is pessimistic. But love is this optimistic, hoping against all hope. When there's no hope, I still hope. I still press on. I still believe that God's at work, and I refuse to give up on those people because I know whoever they are now, that's not the final verdict and the final judgment on their life. God's at work. So love suffers. It spins, And lastly, and probably most obviously, enduring love is love that stays. Look what Paul says. Love endures all things. Love never ends. And this is what I want to talk a little bit more about, spend a little bit more time with this morning because uh, it's here, but also because it's so much a part of our philosophy of ministry as a church. One of the biggest problems in the church, a thing that really weakens the church and its ministry is that pastors don't stay. Uh, this is particularly true in a city like winter haven uh, that is a little suspicious of outsiders to begin with there are a lot of reasons pastors don't stay i think the average stay for a pastor now is something something between two and three years in the church Uh, i was born here i lived here i've lived here my entire life i plan to die here lord willing doing what i'm doing now i have a 50 (laughs) this is ridiculous but i have a 50 year plan for ministry in winter haven on my computer If you're doing the math, that would make me about 85 when we get to the end of that. And I won't be doing the ministry in 50 years, okay? Don't think, oh gosh, he's going to be 85 and still up there. That's not, but 50 years, okay? So what I want to say is, is you're stuck with me. Or maybe I'm stuck with you. Or both, I guess. Uh, It's a good thing. Right? If you don't feel trapped, if you could just walk away as soon as a better job offer comes along or when you get your feelings hurt, then it's not love because love stays. Now, let me get personal for a minute. Another thing that weakens the church is that people don't stay. People typically approach church like consumers does this church have what I'm looking for? Does the pastor meet my expectations? Are the people friendly? All these kinds of things, right? inevitably something goes wrong, they disagree with something or there's some kind of conflict, and they decide to move on to another church. And the irony is and I know this to be true from my experience of talking with these people, is um, the irony is um, excuse me, I lost my place. there we go. The irony is they never find what they're looking for, because the crisis event that causes them to leave is, in reality the invitation to real intimacy and community. So they keep going from place to place, and everywhere they go, it's okay for a while, but then it, the honeymoon kind of gets over, and there's some kind of crisis event. And unfortunately, then they never find the kind of love and friendship they're looking for because they don't stay. You have to stay. You have to stay and push through the trouble because it's on the other side of that thing where you find the intimacy and the belonging and the friendship you so just desperately want. You don't find community you create community through dying love <laughs> I mean most of us go looking for a community where we'll be welcomed and loved and we end up disappointed and we complain those people aren't friendly but it's the wrong way to do it the way you do it is to start by loving and when you put yourself to the work of love guess what what happens you create community and the reason we don't experience it is is that we don't we give up too quickly we don't stay Hesed love is a stubborn love. It's love with no exit strategy. And listen, I know I can be a pain, right? I'm hard to love. I'm task oriented to a fault. I will meet you one Sunday and forget you by the next Sunday. I, I'm aloof. I'm a sinner. And I know our church is far from perfect. It can be hard to connect with people at times here. We don't do a good job of putting people to work. And I mean it when I say I continue to be amazed that you guys show up Sunday after Sunday. And I wouldn't blame you. One bit, if you called me and told me you decided to leave and find another church, there'll come a time when you want to do that, I promise. But I want to ask you to do something. Will you stay? Can we be a people who refuse to give up on one another? Will you stay? I will if you will. Actually, I will if you won't. But it would sure be nice. So, the word for enduring love, the parts of enduring love. So, lastly, the power for enduring love. And by now, you figure this out, at least if you've been coming throughout the series this summer and paying attention, you should have caught on by now that this is where we have to end. If we don't, right? If we don't, all I can hope to accomplish is to make all of us feel guilty for our failure to love like this. But my goal is not to make you feel guilty, my goal is to help you love. And to do that, I have to connect you to the power source. And we see the power source in these verses in Hebrews chapter 12, which we're memorizing this month. But I put them there for that purpose. The writer of Hebrews, so come to this chapter in Hebrews 12. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to love all the way to the end. Run with endurance, he says. Don't go weary or faint-hearted. Don't give up. Don't quit. All these things. Right? And I want to ask a question. Where is that real in your life today? Where are you weary this morning from the work of love? Where do you feel the unevenness of love? You're giving and, giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and the other person is not giving anything in return. And you feel like giving up. See, that's what I'm going after. That's the front lines. That Whatever that relationship is, that's the front lines of chesed love. And I know some of your stories. I know for some of you it's your marriage. It's your relationship with a husband or a wife or an ex-husband or an ex-wife. And for some of you it's a rebellious child for some of you it's this church or an in-law or friendship you want to give up and so here's the question i want to ask how does the hebrews writer aim to help us with our weariness what does he tell us is the solution it's so simple look at what he says verses one verses two and three he tells us look to jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross Consider him, he says, so that you might not grow weary or faint-hearted. So how do you get the strength to love all the way to the end? You have to look to Jesus. You have to consider him. You have to take heart, take to heart that Jesus loved you all the way to the end. And that faith side of his enduring love, the Hebrews writer says, is the power source for us to endure and love too. But let me be specific as I come to a close. We need two things. We need to pray and ask God, beg God, to give us a faith sight of his love towards us. We need a faith sight of God's love towards us. Now, what do I mean? Chesed is one-way love. I love you no matter how well you love me in return. I love you even if you don't love me back, even if you hate me. I die to self for you, completely focused on you and your needs. No concern for myself ...or my needs. So how in the world do you do that? How do you live your life always thinking about others... ...and what they need and never thinking about yourself? The answer is you have to know you're loved. That is to say... ...the enduring love the Apostle Paul is calling us to... ...in these verses is the overflow of God's love for us... ...in Christ coming into our lives. It doesn't come from us. Remember... ...what we said at the very beginning of this series? Love is not a paradigm... ...or a set of principles that you pick up and breathe life into. Love is a person... Love us to get a hold of you and breathe life into you. In other words, you can't love like this until you know you've already been loved like this by God himself. And we've seen it before. But what does the Hebrews writer say was the source of Jesus' endurance? Do you see it in the text, verse 2? He says, for the joy that was set before him he endured. In other words, there was a joy, there was a treasure that motivated Jesus to endure through the cross. And there's only one thing that Jesus did not have that he had to go to the cross to get, and that is you and me. We are his joy. And that truth is the power we need. See... You can love without worrying whether you'll ever get love in return from the other person because you've already, you, you already have God's love. You are his joy. You are his treasure. Jesus was obedient all the way through the cross in order to get you. And if you know that, then you won't need to be your husband's joy. You can just love him. Even though he may never love you in return. Right? The way he should. You see that? So we need a faith side of God's love towards us. But then the last thing is we need a faith sight of God's power, which is at work in our lives. The Hebrews writer not only draws our attention to Jesus' enduring love for us, he says, verse 2, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And here's what that means. The promise of the gospel is not only that God and Jesus has put his love on us and will never take it away, it is also that the very heart of Jesus beats in us, giving us the practical strength we need to endure in love. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then you've been united to him in such a way that his power is now coming into your life and at work in you. That's what that phrase means. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. It means that we are spiritually connected in him in such a way that he lives in us and loves through us. That his power is working in us to strengthen us in our weakness. That his heart of love literally comes into our life and begins to beat in us animating us towards love for other people. And let me give you an illustration, and then I'm done. Uh, in October 2011 in Iowa, Gordon and Norma Yeager, who had been married for 72 years, he was 94 and she was 90, uh, they were in a serious car accident on their way into town one day. And at the, it's pretty impressive that, that the 94-year-old man was still driving. But at the hospital after the accident... The hospital staff realized their conditions were not improving, so they moved them into the same room because they wanted to be together, and they put their beds side by side so that they could hold hands. They'd been married for 72 years. Gordon died at about 3.30 in the afternoon. He died first, and the doctors pronounced him dead, but the family was very confused because for the next hour, even after he had been pronounced dead, his monitor continued to register a heartbeat. And so they asked about it, and the medical staff told them. They said, it's amazing. It's Norma's heart that was beating. And because they were holding hands, uh, and the, the monitor that was attached to him was picking up her heartbeat. So, literally, she died about an hour later, but for a whole hour, her heart beat inside of him. Now, that's a picture of the promise of these verses. Are you weary? Do you feel dead inside? Does it feel like your heart has quit beating and you've got nothing left to give? Look to Jesus in faith. His love coming into our lives and overflowing towards others is the power we need. Consider him, the writer says. His spirit is the promise of his heart. Beating in the place of our stony hearts giving life to our deadness and giving us strength for the work of love. Are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Come to this table this morning and feed your soul on him. Let's pray. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we do confess to you that we are uh, we are weary and weak that we do not possess the endurance and love that we should, uh, because often we are uh, working in our own strength. And we confess and repent of that and ask that you would come and, and be at work in our hearts and lives where we are weak to bring your strength to bear upon our weakness so that we may be made strong toward the work that you've given to us. Forgive us, Father, that we so easily quit on one another uh, that we love, but only to a point, and usually it's when it gets hard because we love our own comfort. And we're selfish enough to believe that our needs are more important than the work of love. Forgive us for that. And may our marriages, uh, may our friendships, may our relationship with one another as a church uh, not reflect that selfish kind of love. But may it may, may be true of us that we love one another with a hesed love, with a one-way love, with a love not concerned about getting love in return. A stubborn steadfast love that has no exit strategy that goes all the way to the end with one another. And give us wisdom where we've given and given and given and gotten nothing in return because, because this work of love is hard. But Father, most of all, come and, and, and fill us now as we meet together around this meal. Come and feed us as you promised to do. Uh, Lord Jesus, we need uh, your power flowing into our lives. So come as we come to eat to be united to you by faith uh, and strengthen us. Give us the Holy Spirit to enable us uh, to prosper in this great work you've called us to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. This benediction is the promise that God makes to you to declare his commitment to love you. And so as he has endured and promises to always endure in his love towards you, that is the very power that you need to go and endure in your love towards other people. So receive the benediction then. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.